We're going to begin the summer by looking at one of the great men of Scripture this morning, a man that God brought to faith early in the story of the Bible, and a man that may be talked about by Jesus and by the New Testament authors as much or more than any other man in the New Testament. This morning, our passage is going to come from the book of Romans, chapter 4, verse 3. Would you please stand with me? You can open your Bibles to Romans 4, 3 or read it on the screen. It's just one verse. Romans chapter 4, verse 3. This is the word of the Lord. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. The word of the Lord. Please lift your hands and pray with me. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would illuminate our understanding of your word and your ways. May the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of your glory, we pray. And may I be faithful in my preaching and in my living. And it's in your name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. <laughs> Yesterday, I had the privilege of getting to go to a graduation party of a young man, Kyle. And at that graduation party, I sat at Olander Park underneath a pavilion at a picnic table and looked across the table at some relative of yours. I mean, I was only there for 45 minutes. You had a lot of family, so I have no... I think it was your mother's... mother's sister. I think. And they live near Pennsylvania, and he worked for a power plant. Is this your mother, mother, sister's husband? Okay, well, we won't go there. It's going to make for a long morning, folks. <laughs> so I looked across the table, and I was talking with uh, a couple, probably in their late 60s, maybe early 70s. And um, he was, you know, a man's man, worked at a power plant his whole life, and we were just getting to know each other a little bit. And we were talking about the summer. And he asked what I was doing, and I said, well, we're going to be going camping this upcoming week with the church, and we're going to be going camping later in the year, and I'm going to take another camping trip with my boys up to the men's camping trip. I said, you like camping? And he ah, no, I don't like camping. You know, so I'm thinking, okay, here's this, you know, manly guy, you know, he likes to travel, likes, you know, doesn't like camping at all. So you start to form thoughts, like, why might he not like camping? I mean, what's the deal, you know? Well, a little later in the conversation, he said, you know why I don't like camping? I suppose I, I should say that I liked camping initially. But I don't like camping now because I served in the military and it ruined it for me. I went into the military and something that used to be a pleasure was now a labor. You know, I, I didn't have the option of going out and living without any shower, without any hot food in the woods for days and weeks on end. I was made to do it. And then I went overseas and I lived in a tent longer. And so then... I had a better picture of, okay, why he doesn't enjoy camping. Why does he enjoy now an RV over the thought of, you know, camping on the ground? Having a knowledge of someone's background is important because it helps us understand and appreciate in a more full way who they are and why they are that way. Now, many of you have probably heard of Squanto. How many of you have heard of Squanto? Okay, an Indian... I can say that. My wife is Native American. <laughs> He's an Indian 
Help the pilgrims when they came over. How many of us knew that? Good many number of us. Now, we know that he was an Indian that helped the pilgrims come over. We may know that he helped them learn how to plant corn and how to fish so that the pilgrims could survive. But did you know, Squanto had been kidnapped by early European settlers and taken to Spain. Did you know that he was taken to an auction block to be sold as a slave? Did you know that at that auction, as he stood there on the block and the auction started, one, 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 that the, the man that bid on him most routinely and won him was a monk who bought him so that he might be able to care for him rather than see him serve as a slave. And that monk and the monks that he was with taught him about Christianity, taught him some of the language. And years later, Squanto came back to his homeland and he found that his entire tribe had died likely from disease and sickness that was spread by European explorers. And did you know that where his tent used to be, along with all of his family's tents and longhouses and wigwams or whatever they were in his particular tribe, was now occupied by those very pilgrims that he taught and that he embraced. Knowing the backstory deepens our appreciation for the fact that he was willing to help the pilgrims in the first place. He could have easily lived in bitterness, resentment, making it his goal to persecute the Europeans as he himself had been persecuted. But that is not what he chose to do. And with that knowledge, we have a deepened appreciation for him, don't we? Knowing uh, backstory is important. What was Abram's backstory? And throughout this sermon, I may say Abram, I may say Abraham. Those two people are one person. The, the story on that is that he was born Abram. But then when he came to know God, God said, that's not going to be your name anymore. It's going to be Abraham. So Abram and Abraham are the same man. The only difference is that his life has now been changed by God. He's encountered God. What's his backstory? It's likely that, like Squanto, you've heard at least a few things about Abraham. A good number of you know that maybe he was the first of what are called the patriarchs in the Old Testament. Or maybe you know that God made him a promise that he'd have a son in his old age when his wife was barren. But where did he come from? What sort of upbringing did he have? What was his family like? What was his life like before all the stories that might come most readily to your mind as you think about this man? Well, Abraham is one of the central figures in the early Old Testament, and he's chosen as the man through whom all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. But there is a significant difference with Abraham. We meet him uh, in chapter 11, but really chapter 12 of Genesis. But before that, there's a few other characters that are prominent, men like Noah and men like we probably believe Job lived early, early on in the Old Testament. Was Abraham just like them? Well, in many ways, yes. But in some ways, there's differences between the way we're introduced to Abraham or Abram and the way we're introduced to Noah and to Job. When we're introduced to Noah, 
The context is that all of the people had deserted the Lord. They did what was right in their own eyes. The days were dark. God was angry, and he was going to punish the people. It says in Genesis 6 that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man's heart was great on the earth and that every intention of his heart was only evil continually. And he was sorry that he made the earth, and then he planned to wipe it out. But Noah found favor in the eyes of God. These are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time, and he walked with God. That's, that's the way we're introduced to Noah. Job, similarly, um, we're introduced with, with these words in Job chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man from the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, fearing God and turning away from evil. Now, we know that this didn't happen out of nowhere. Both these men learned about God, came to know God at a certain point in time in their lives. No one is born like this. And yet the way we're introduced to these characters is with these words. Do you understand what I'm saying? Noah, it's not this way with Noah. There is no such words for Noah. He did not grow up in the church. I'm sorry, Abraham. Yeah, my dad is mouthing things to me now. Yeah, thank you. It's not the case with Abraham. He did not grow up in the church. He did not grow up reading the word of God and praying. We aren't given a whole lot of background on this man Abraham in his younger years, but the Bible does give us a few facts that help us form a picture of what his life was likely like. In the book of Joshua, we're told this about Abram's father. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, from ancient times, your fathers lived beyond the river. He's talking to Israel. And he says, long ago, your fathers lived beyond the river, namely Terah, the father of Abraham, the father of Nahor. And that man, Terah, and those like him, served other gods. So we start to get a picture of maybe what Abram's early life was like. Abram's dad was not a man like Noah or like Job, he was an idol worshiper. He served other gods. This is how Abraham grew up. This is what he knew. This was his normal. He grew up worshiping and serving false gods. That's the, the little vignette, the, the little nugget of his story that we get from Joshua. In Genesis chapter 11, we're told a little bit more about Abraham's life. It's not a whole lot, but we start to get the outline of what his childhood and his young years as a man were like. At the beginning stage of his life, he lived in a place that was called Ur. And the significance of this specific location, this hometown, is that it was very close in proximity to something called the Plain of Shinar. And now these, these places probably don't hold much significance to many of you, but there is a significance to this place. Shinar was where the Tower of Babel had been erected. And if you know the story, if you recall that story, the story of the Tower of Babel is that the people on earth decide after a time that they aren't content with the world that God has given to them. They're going to build a tower that reaches up into the heavens so that they can be with God. That's the story of Babel. And this is not a story of men and women who love God so much that they just want to be with him. This is a story of men and women who love themselves so much that they decide that they can be like God. And so the Tower of Babel is not a good story. And the plain of Shinar is likely not a godly place. It's the epicenter of where this godlessness was fomenting. Do you understand? 
So that's where Abraham grew up. Terah had three sons. Abraham was one, Nahor was another, and Haran was a third. Haran ended up dying young, leaving behind a son named Lot. When Abraham reached marrying age, he married a woman named Sarai, but they were not able to get pregnant. They weren't able to have children. This was a cause of much uh, sorrow and in that time, shame, just like it often is today. At some point, Terah decided that he was done with her, and he takes his son, Abram, Abraham, and Sarai, and Lot, his grandson, who's fatherless, and they travel 600 miles to the north into the land of Canaan, and they, it's, we're told that they went as far as Haran and settled there. Now, notice that they settle in a place that has the name of Terah's son that died. So what we think is that they go up to this place up in Canaan, and they settle it, and, and uh, Abraham's father names it after Abraham's dead brother. So judging from the facts we're given, that's about all we know about Abraham's early life before God came to him. Judging from the facts we're given, Abraham was ignorant when it came to knowing about the true God who is an idolater living in a family of idolaters up in Haran, trying to make a go of it in this new country. And all of a sudden, seemingly out of nowhere, we turn the page to Genesis uh, chapter 12, verse 1, and out of nowhere, God calls Abraham. God calls him. So I want to read just the first couple verses of Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Abram at this time, Go forth from your country and from your relatives, from your father's house, to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you, and in you all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. Now listen, knowing Abraham's background allows us to see what a hopeful passage this is. God doesn't choose to come to somebody that's been going to church all their life and knows all the Bible facts and did Bible quizzing growing up and knows what a catechism is and say, listen, I like you. I'm going to make your name great. God goes to a man who is living in a household of idolatry and pagan worship and says, go forth. First words that are recorded. That's the kind of man that God chooses, and that's the way that God acts. Knowing this about Abraham's background allows us to have so much hope. God calls sinners to himself, not the righteous. Jesus did not come to save the righteous, but sinners. What is God's call? What's God's call? Before looking at what God called Abraham to do, we need to recognize the nature of God's call. It was personal. In those three verses, seven times God says to Abraham, you, 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 you. This was not some general promise, some vague blessing. It was specific to Abraham, the man Abraham. And it was personal to him. There have been times where they say that the economy is improving here in America. 
that businesses are thriving, that profit is up, GOP is up. And yet I talk with business owners and they tell me business isn't going well for me. I can't get laborers. I can't depend on having a good workforce. Therefore, I can't bid the jobs that I want to get because I can't afford to get the job and then not have the labor. And therefore, my profits are down. Things aren't great. That happens, has happened. Like this scenario, you don't profit by general blessings, do you? Just like the business owner with his earthly needs, so it is with our eternal needs. You don't have, you must have, rather, a particular call from God, a particular blessing from God come to you, come to your own soul. A general blessing will not do. Just growing up in a home where faith is, is, is modeled and where love for Jesus is exhibited from your parents does not mean that you don't have a need for a particular blessing yourself. You understand. I'm not denying that you've received blessings because of your parents' faith. You certainly have. But what I'm saying is those general blessings aren't going to cut the mustard. Those general blessings, though they may truly enrich your life and benefit you, don't do anything for your own standing before God. Do you understand? So we must have a particular and a personal call, a particular and personal blessing from God, just as Abraham did. God called Abraham to separate. These words from chapter 12 begin by saying the very first words out of God's mouth to Abraham are, go forth, go forth, not only from the land that Abram had settled in, but from his relatives and from his father's house. Anything that stood between him and God must be forsaken. And in the same way, God is calling you and I to leave our sins behind. He's calling you to let go of everything that so easily, that's the Bible, that's what the words of Scripture say, so easily entangle you in worldliness, in worry, in lack of trust in him, in self-centeredness, in our lusts, to let go of all those things. If a man is not willing to forsake his sins, he is not willing to be saved. That's what the prophet Isaiah says in chapter 55. He says, let the wicked forsake his way and the right, unrighteous man his thoughts. So we understand here that God isn't just telling Abram to leave a geographical location, is he? It's not enough for you to move from Toledo to, to Bowling Green, Kentucky. That's not what God has in mind, although he may move you around in his will. He says, go forth even from your thoughts, from your wicked thoughts. Often, how many of us know that it's much harder to actually separate ourselves from the things that afflict us internally than it is to change our surroundings? Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord, and the Lord God will have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So go forth from your country. That was the call to Abraham and to us. Just as Christ had to leave the comforts of his heavenly home and come down to be with us, so we must leave the comforts of our country, this way of life on earth, if we are to be with him. But God called Abraham not only to separate from a former way of life. 
He also called Abraham to embrace a new form of life. It is never enough to leave something bad behind if you do not pick up something that is good and holy and righteous. That's the point of Jesus' parable when he's talking about the woman who had a demon in her house and she wanted to get the demon out, so she swept the house and cleaned everything and put everything in order, but she didn't fill it with anything that was good. And so Jesus says that seven more demons came up and took residence there because she hadn't filled it. That's the point. It's not enough to leave bad things. You must embrace good things. And I'm not just saying like, you know, there are times where you just have to like grit it and, and do it, like even if you don't want to, right? But like I hope that, you know, in our homes, we don't live that way where we just, everything is gritting it and, you know, we've got a home that's kind of a project. And I was telling Aaliyah recently that we got to get to the point where, I'd like to get to the point where I'm very content as it is. And my small group is very gracious to put up at the house some of the inconveniences. But I was saying to Aaliyah that, you know, it really wouldn't take a whole lot of work for us to just get a couple rooms done so that they feel finished, right? And so we're, we're going to work toward that. I hope that, you know, in the arrangement of your homes, you don't just say everything isn't gritting your teeth and bearing it. Like, I despise that photo hanging on the wall, you know? Oh, those doilies, put them all over, you know? No, I, you want to be comfortable in your home. Okay, your home in your heart, your desires, there will be times where, you know, you have to grit it and do something good that, even though you don't want to. But if you have the Holy Spirit residing in your heart, actually more and more what it should be is not a lack of challenge, but a love. Not just a gritting and bearing it and being willing to do it, but a love and a desire to do that which is right because you love Christ and Christ loves you. And this is what is right and true and lovely. Do you understand what I'm saying? So it's not enough to forget and leave something behind. You must embrace that which is good. Abraham was not just to leave the land he lived in. He was going to be going to a place that was specified by God. Notice God didn't tell him where he was going. He didn't say plug in, you know, Tel Aviv in your GPS and go on down. He said go to the place I'm going to show you. Well, where? Just, I'm going to show you. In other words, his new life is being guided by God's direction. So this brings us to what comes with God's call. So we have to separate from the bad. We have to embrace the good. What comes with God's call? Well, God gives Abram two promises. First, he said, leave the land that you're going to go. Leave the land that you're in, but go to the land that I will show you. God does not ever call us to leave something behind without offering to us something of far greater worth. The prodigal son had to forfeit his torn, nasty, ripped rags that he used to work in the pigsty with if he was going to inherit his father's best robe. You understand that? He had to be willing to give up the torn, ripped, dirty one to get the beautiful one. Abraham had to forfeit a land that was named after his brother if he was ever going to get a land that would be truly his. You recognize that. God promised a new geographical area, but of course, What's the benefit of a land if you can't fill it or cultivate, or cultivate it or maintain it? So along with the promise of land, God promised Abraham something much, much more valuable. He promised that he would have a son. He promised that his barren wife, Sarai, 
would conceive and bear a son. The second promise God gave to Abram was, was that he would be a blessing to the world. He says, I will bless you and make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And of course, though the nation of Israel was a blessing in many, many practical ways, the ultimate fulfillment of this promise here to Abram would be found in Jesus Christ coming into the world as a descendant of Abram to save the world from its sins. All the families of the earth, you and me, are being blessed, have been blessed, will be blessed in the future through Abram's seed, which is Christ, through this promise right here. Do you recognize that? Recognize God's order. We can only be blessed, we can only be a blessing for God after we have been blessed by God. This is God's order. It's the way in which he works. We are saved so that we can serve God. It is out of those that know Jesus and, and drink of him that living waters flow. That's what Jesus says. So this is God's call to separate from an old life, to embrace a new life, and to be both blessed and a blessing as he went about doing it. And that was true for Abraham, but this promise was made to Abraham and to his offspring. And so in, in that way, it is also God's call to you. Do you recognize that? This is God's desire for each one of you particularly. I said you needed a personal call from God. He offers it to you. This is to you. Have you experienced this call? Perhaps you're like Abraham, doing your own thing, not thinking at all about God, living in Haran, trying to make a go of it. But he's thinking of you. Even now, God is calling you. What will be your answer? What will be your response to God's call? Now, as we consider Abraham's response, I want to go back to the verse that we launched off of in Romans. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. This is the picture of salvation in Abraham's life. But what does this verse mean? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. You can get into trouble if you don't think about what this verse means. Does it mean that Abraham believed God and that by that act of believing became just a little bit better than all those that were around him and therefore earned himself righteousness? Is that what God, Paul is saying in Romans? No. He's saying that God, he believed God. Abraham believed God and God credited it to him as righteousness. It wasn't earned, nor was it won. It was credited to him by God. A couple of weeks ago, we decided as a staff to surprise my dad and take him to Cedar Point. And we had a wonderful day at Cedar Point together. At the end of the day, we had the option of converting any of the passes we had already bought to season passes if we so desired. And my dad said that he wanted to, a few of us were interested in it, but mostly we weren't. So we had, you know, eight tickets to Cedar Point that we could convert up to eight tickets to light, you know, season passes for 40 bucks more or something like that. And so at the end of the day, we decided, my dad decided he wanted to stand in line and convert his pass to Cedar Point, you know, lifetime pass, season pass. And in addition to that, he decided to buy a couple of passes for some of the grandchildren, some of my kids and others, so that he could take them with him to Cedar Point. Now, 
did my, buy, did my boys buy passes to Cedar Point? No. They didn't do anything for those passes to Cedar Point other than exist. And they can't even claim responsibility for that. But my dad loves them, and he therefore chose to credit them with passes to Cedar Point because he loved them, and he chose to. You understand this? And so Micaiah and Nate, and maybe some others, I'm not saying which of the grandkids are going to Cedar Point, but these are the predicaments we get in have little cards with their name and face on it, not because they did something to buy that or earn it, but because, you know, their grandfather loves them and decided to do it and place, you know, their names on that card. He credited it to them. The Bible is clear that there's no one who has innate natural righteousness. We're all born with innate talents and abilities. Some of us have good people skills. Some of us have minds for math. Some of us have a mastery of language and words. None of us, not one, has the inclination toward what is right. If God had not come to Abraham, you recognize, if God had not come to Abraham and God had not shown Abraham favor, Abraham would have never had the opportunity to believe in God and for it to be credited to him as righteousness. You recognize that. God came to him in Haran. Now, having thought about Abram's background, where he came from, and having thought about God's call, I do want to end this morning by considering Abraham's response to God. What was Abram's response? Well, we're told, very simply, that Abraham believed God. What aren't we told? Notice what it doesn't say. Read it through the eyes of an American. If an American would have written the verse, what would have it said? It would have said that Abraham believed in God. It doesn't say that Abraham believed in God. America is all about believing in God, that he exists somewhere, that big guy upstairs. What we need to bear in mind is that believing in God's existence does nothing for you. It doesn't say, well, it's true, it's good, I'm glad you believe that he exists. But the fact of his existence does nothing in terms of knowing God personally, having a relationship with him that will last into eternity. The book of James tells us that even the demons believe that God is real and they're terrified of him. So if you are content with the same status of the demons, I suppose believing in God is is fine, but if you desire something more than that, you've got to know something more than that he just exists. We live in a country where Many would say they believe in God, but so few believe God's word. So few believe like that man, Abraham. Imagine I was your financial advisor, which you wouldn't want, by the way. But imagine that I was. And imagine I came to you and I told you that because of a personal connection that I have, some proprietary information, I've heard about a wonderful opportunity. And that opportunity is that there's a company that's going to be going public, and, the, and, the, and of course, this is all legal. I'm telling you, this is all legal. The stock shares are going to go through the roof. You can pick them up now for dirt cheap, and they're going to be worth 20 times as much if you just wait, you know, 12 months. And this is not just likely, it's guaranteed. 
Then I turn to you and I say, so how much do you want to invest? Well, if I were to do that to you, and you believed me, you were going to buy, weren't you? You would buy. You'd take out your wallet, or you'd go to the... You'd go to the bank and get a counter check for everyone that's under 30. Everyone that's over 30, you'd take out your checkbook. And you'd buy. But if you don't buy, with me having told you this, for as much as you say you trust me, for as much as you say you're grateful for my advice, you don't trust me. You don't believe what I'm saying. There's no way that you can trust me and turn down this opportunity. You recognize that. The same is true with you and God. The exact same thing is true with you and God. Abraham believed God. Abraham trusted God for his good. He trusted that the things that God said to him would not be possible, but that they would be a reality, that they would actually happen. He believed that God would give him a land that was so much better than anything he had in Haran. He believed that God would give him a son. He believed that God's word was true. Abraham placed his hope and his trust in God. And how do we know? How do we know? We know because it was not just mental assent. It was not just a verbal response. The very next verse, verse 4 of chapter 12, says, Abram went forth. Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken. He packed up his bags and he left. He acted as if everything God had promised was absolutely true, and it was. And he did this despite lots of pressure and logical reasons to stay. Remember, he was giving up his entire life, relationships, possessions, comforts, security, financial benefits, inheritance from his father. Plus, you think about what he had, what he was going into, that great unknown. God told me to go. Well, where did he tell you to go? I don't know. How are you going to get there? I don't know. What are you going to come across on your way? I don't know. It looked crazy, sounded crazy, and guess what? It was crazy. But God promised him that it was going to be a very good kind of crazy for Abraham. And so he went forth in his belief. Now, I want to ask you, are you going forth? Are you going for it? God calls you to a new life, a life of believing his word, finding deeper joys and rewards than you could ever dream of. But I want to ask you, are you following God's call? How often do you think that, of, that Abraham dreamt of having a son? Probably often. But how often do you suppose that Abraham thought that he would have offspring that were more numerous than the sand on the seashore? Probably not very often. How often do you think that Abraham thought about the implications of heirship, being a son and receiving as an heir something? He probably thought about these things too. He probably thought, well, someday my dad's going to die, and seeing as my, my other brother, Nahor, is down, down south in Mesopotamia still, I'm going to receive what my dad's got up here. He probably thought about those things. But you know what Abraham never dreamt of? He never dreamt of inheriting the world, the entire world. And you say, well, he didn't inherit the entire world. And I say, yeah, he did. Romans chapter 4, verse 13 says that Abraham was an heir of the world. And even more than that, by faith, an heir with Christ to the world to come. Mind-blowing, wonderful, greater than we could ask or think. But do you believe it? 
Like God called Abraham, God is calling you. Perhaps you don't really understand who he is. Perhaps you haven't done a whole lot of business with him before. Neither had Abraham. What is your response? You might say to me, I'm a Christian. I've answered God's call already. And I would say, good. I'm glad to hear it. But what did God recall and require of you of this, in this past week? What is God calling you to today? Because you see, God first calls us into his service, but then he calls us to serve day by day. This isn't a once and only time call. This, it, God is not like your friend from high school where you say, yeah, he was my friend, and say, when did you last talk to him? And you say, 10 years ago at the reunion. God's not like that. He's always issuing forth fresh, current calls that cause us to grow relationally and affectionately deeper with him. He's constantly putting things on our minds and asking us to do things for him. He's always seeking to encourage us and to see how we're doing. You may have had in your life a friendship that at some point seemed completely empty because it seemed like you were the only active party in that friendship. You would put forth effort, the other person wouldn't respond. You'd say happy birthday, no response. You'd initiate a meeting, they'd come to the meeting, but then after that, great time, but bam, they ghost you. All right? You probably had friendships like that in the past. That's not like our friendship with God. God is always the one doing the seeking and doing the friendship building when we are in relationship with him. He's a friend that calls you every day on your way into work. God kept calling Abraham, and Abraham kept responding. From this point on, Abraham's life is going to be filled and characterized with going forth, depending on God, trusting that every, even though it might look crazy, God would provide and care for his needs. So he left Haran, he left his father, he left his old way of life. And he came to know God, and he came to worship God. But later, you know what he's going to do? He's going to come down into this beautiful country, and he's going to look out and see these beautiful plains with lush green grass, just like in The Hobbit. And he's going to say, I want, and then Lot's going to go, oh, that's mine. No, not really. He's going to offer it to Lot, and Lot's going to take the good land. And guess what? What's Abraham going to have to do from that point on? He's going to have to go forth again, isn't he? And then later, God's going to give him that son, the fulfillment of that great promise. But God's going to call him, tell him, hey, I want you to sacrifice your son to me. And once again, Abraham's going to have to go forth to Mount Moriah, and his feet step after step toward Mount Moriah. And we know that God spared Isaac and God didn't really want him to sacrifice his son to him, but he was testing him. And so Abraham's life was perpetually characterized by a willingness to go forth in pursuit of God's call. Do you understand? What's your response going to be to God's call? You may say, I want to go forth like Abraham, but I don't know how I'm supposed to go. What's this look like? Well, what did Abraham have to guide him? He had nothing but the Word of God. The Word of God was a lamp unto his feet and a light unto his path, and it directed his way. And God made good on every single promise that he made to Abraham. And Abraham is the father of all of us spiritually because of, because of his response to God's call. And so as it relates to you individually or to us as a church in a season where we are sort of in flux and, and experiencing some changes... The way forward is one foot after another, responding to God's call by trusting his word. It's that simple. 
responding and trusting his word. But that means that our lives and our actions are going to be shaped by it. There's, nothing, there's no, no mental ascent without action here. It's, 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 it's a mental ascent, it's an affection of our hearts and a love from our hearts, and it's the actions of our hands and feet, the words of our mouth, the places we go, the things we do. <clears throat> what is it that I desire for our future? What do I want to see us do? What is it that will call, cause us not only to be blessed by God, but be, to be a source of blessing in Toledo and beyond? Trust in the Lord with all of our heart. Lean not on our own understanding. Acknowledge him in all of our ways, and he will make our path straight. That's what I'd like for us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We do thank you that it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. How lost we would be without you, Lord. How miserable we would be in our own sins, caught up in a knot that we can't untangle because of all the bad decisions, selfish decisions, all the faithless acts we've committed, the lies, the trust we've broken. Father, but you untangle all of that mess. Christ does it in us by the power of your Holy Spirit. We're thankful for that. I pray that we would be men and women who can serve as a light of the world, a city on a hill, bright and shining only because we have shining on us the light of Christ and we reflect it in our words, actions, loves, devotions with our very life. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.